The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Chris? Yes? It's been like two, almost two full days since the deadline, and I'm not recovered yet. Well, deadline was kind of, for me, it was anticlimactic because everything happened before. The I deadline mean, itself, sure. There wasn't a lot that went down, although the Klingberg trade that came in like right at the end. Seriously under the wire. Like definitely, definitely livened up the day. But the 10 or 12 days heading into the deadline were absolutely the monster mash version of like the NHL theme song. It was it was just surprising. Well, and interesting. It was day after day. I mean, and the dominoes started to fall after Sweeney, who somehow managed to make it about him, or not about him, but about his Bruins, trades for what everybody thought was going to be Gavrikov, and 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 the the closer it got, the more I cringed. The more I looked at that trade, the less I liked it. Um, When whenever they said that we got. Orlov and Hathaway, I was just like, we got what? (laughs) And he only gave up Craig Smith off the roster. Look, I like Craig Smith, um, but I'm not sure he could have bought another goal this year with his entire lifetime earnings. He just wasn't. I don't think he actually believed in him in his ability to score. And that's a big problem. But I, I genuinely, desperately hope for Craig Smith that he actually gets, um, gets a good run in the rest of the year in Washington, mm-hmm. and has a little fun, finds his believability, goes into the off season healthy, uh, comes out of the off season healthy, um, and because he's. It, it, it was clear as the season progressed this year that he was skating better than he did last year. A lot in a lot of ways, like it was like um, Nick Foligno. He just didn't get the offensive jump that other that uh, Foligno had. I mean, 10 goals is not exactly earth shattering. It doesn't reset the balance of power in the NHL for um for Polino to go from the four goals last year to the 10 and counting this year. I'll simplify it even more. The Bruins couldn't find a place for him. He didn't work on, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a seamless fit on any line. Correct. We talk, you talk about Trent Frederick, Frederick fits with, with Hall and Coyle, you know, with Hall and Coyle. You talk about, you talk about DeBrusque and he works as much as I love the rafters line being together. He works checkmates line. The, the, the checkmates just work. And I don't know if that's a familiarity thing. They know how each other plays, but there was no seamless fit for no. Craig Smith. And it's, it's, that's going to be part of, that's always part of it. You know, chemistry is a wildly underrated part of the NHL. Um, now, 
I think that, you know, when you talk about the dominoes falling this season, you have to jump back to January 30th. Yes. Yes. The Orlov trade was big and out of nowhere. But it's really the Bo Horvat trade that got the train rolling. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, no. And I agree with that. I mean, the Islanders taking advantage, getting getting ahead of everybody, getting the jump on the league because it was Horvat was going here. Horvat was going there. Horvat was coming to Boston. And I don't know how we were going to make him fit, but I was excited for it. You know, Horvat was going. I was surprised that he ended up where he did. But the fact that the Islanders hit that jumping off point and brought him in. And they didn't get as much as you, whether you like Beauvillier, don't like Beauvillier, Beauvillier was, or is, I should say, a talent, whether it's completely popped in the popper or not, I don't know. You know, is there more to his game or what you see is what you get? They didn't seem to give up a ridiculous amount for him. Nope. Um, I think that, Overall, with the exception of the Tanner Janot trade, that was, I mean, you want to talk about overpayment. Holy cow. You really can't say that there was any wild overpayment this year. Tanner Janot. I mean, I if someone had said, if so, someone had made that trade for Bo Horvat, I don't know that anyone would have blinked. If someone had made that trade for Eric Carlson or for Patrick Kane or for Tarasenko or Jacob Chikrin, I don't know that anyone blinks. So but on the 30th, on the Horvath, 30th, on the 30th, Horvat goes to the Islanders for Anthony Bavillier, Aturati and New York's first round pick this season, which is conditional. Um, if the pick is in the top 12, then then the Islanders hang on to it and Vancouver gets next year's first round pick. You, you skip ahead, skip ahead, skip ahead. You get to <clears throat> Tanner Janot. Tanner Janot to the Lightning for Tampa Bay's <clears throat> first round pick in 2025. Second round pick in 24, fifth round pick in 23, fourth round pick in 23, third round pick in 23, and Cal Foot. And the only condition on the 2025th first round is that it's top 10 protected. Yeah. And for Tanner Janot. I, I, don't, I don't get it, but okay. Um, if both sides are happy, if it's legal... Buyer beware. I'm assuming um, it's legal because it went to the, it goes to the league offices just like every other trade. So, I, and you look at the Islanders; they were out of the playoffs when they made that trade. They're in the first wild card spot today. Yeah, it's not a very secure hold because they played three more games than Pittsburgh and Ottawa, and four more games than Buffalo. Um, and right now, both of those teams have a better winning percentage and they're three game. They played three more games than, yeah, three more games in Ottawa, whose winning percentage is almost identical. 
uh, for the rain for the Islanders at six fifty. It's five fifty four. For Ottawa, it's for five forty eight. I think that they did what they could, given the constraints of the deadline and the cap. Um, I don't really have a complaint, and let's face it, Bo Horvat is going to be there a couple of years. Uh, they did sign him. No one else has really uh, not a lot. Not a lot of these uh, additional or not not a lot of these ads uh, and trade pieces have a lot of term. I mean, most of them are pure rentals. They signed him to a long deal. Yeah, they won that trade. Um, in the present, absolutely. I mean, it, it really all depends. It really all depends on what the pick and what Atirati, what the pick and what Atirati do. But if you're talking in the present, they absolutely won the trade. If they if they make the playoffs, they won the trade. I'll even go so far as to say if they make the playoffs next year, and Bo Horvat is an effective part of the part of the plan, they they won. Um, I will. Um, so next major trade. I I want to ask this before we delve into too many names because then it'll kind of spoil the question. But because I have two, but did you have any surprises? Like you were surprised that this person went to X team or you were surprised that this person was moved at all, or you were surprised that this person wasn't moved. Do you have any surprises? Cause like I said, I have two, possibly a third. I think that we, I think that everyone was surprised with the Orlov Hathaway to Boston trade. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it up until, uh, Alex Ovechkin's, father passed away. Washington was right in the thick of the playoff race. He goes off as he should uh, to see his family for a week, 10 days, and they've moved out of it. And they're an older team. They're not, they're just not going to be able to have the legs to push, push through it, particularly with Carlson already sidelined for um, an extended period. And un- unfor- unfortunately, and and obviously our condolences go out to the family. We wish them condolences and, and prayers when it happened. But him not being there was what prompted the selling because they were kind of fighting for spot. And then they were treading water. Had, they were yes, fighting for spot, treading water. He takes a, he takes five games off and they lose all five games, which I guess says how important he is to the team as well. And which suddenly is, they become but, sellers. But yeah. Um, I think if we're going to look outside of the Boston trades, um, probably the next biggest surprise, at least for me, mm-hmm. um, is that uh, Minnesota was actually able to pick up John Klingberg. Sure, 50% salary was retained, um, which is the most a team can retain. Um, I didn't I didn't expect them to add, add a Klingberg. Um, so kudos to uh, Billy Guerin for grabbing that piece at, at a good time and 
had a great price. Billy, who's really not afraid to. Dude has no fear, like. Uh, just none, no fear in making moves. Um, I I like it, and I think that um, I think that the future bodes really, really well. Um, is lo- because something that franchise has needed since it since it you know joined the league is a direction. And uh, as the phrase goes, some testicular fortitude mm-hmm. uh, in in decision making. I prior to the Garen era, I don't know that you had anyone who had both the uh, brains and the backbone. Yeah, like Chuck Fletcher made some interesting moves that showed one or the other, but not really both at the same time. Um, and some that were just absent either. And the GMs before him uh, were just not memorable in any way. They didn't do anything useful for the franchise. Um, I, I, I think that Billy Guerin is uh, a big ad. Who are your two? Uh, one is one is a Bruin. One is a Bruin trade. Uh, and it was it was clearly prompted whether they'll admit to it or not. It was clearly it was clearly prompted by the fact that they lost both Hall and Felino, and and Hall In being like off long period. Hall being off long term IR. And, and then the Don Sweeney the turn, and then, yeah, and then Marchand with the scare. But Don Sweeney turns around, contacts my boy Stevie out there in Detroit, and says, "Yeah." We want that Tyler Bertuzzi guy. Get Steve to hang on to 50% salary. Now, is it expensive? I mean, the 20 it's Boston's first round pick next year, conditional top 10 protected and a fourth round pick in 25. But already paying dividends in in the Rangers game. Bertuzzi is a grit and sandpaper guy. He's he, he's going to fit in with this Bruins team. He's played with Nosek in the past. They played at Grand. Uh, they played together on the Grand Rapids Griffins. And he knows Felino. They grew up in the same neighborhood. <laughs> so it, it, he's going to fit. And if there is a player, the only thing that worries me about him is the fact that a he's broken both hands. He's He's had a a bit of an injury history, but here's a guy who's physical, not afraid to go into the dirty areas, work for the puck, and he can put it in the net. And if you watch the Rangers game, he can play. He can back. He can he can he can come back on defense, too. He's not a strictly offensive guy. He's a really solid player. Um, Personally, I think that the league is probably just going to start mailing uh, suspension and fines to the Bruins at random between Hathaway, <laughs> Bertuzzi, and Marchand. Like, $5,000 fine, two-game suspension. We'll figure out why later. I was going to say, um, did they not give Marchand a five thousand? Did they not give Marchand a fine a few games ago for, like— They did. Uh, against Seattle, I think it was. They, 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 oh, he swept the leg. Well, he learned that watching Karate Kid, but okay. <laughs> I um oh and the other trade that shocked me. Oh okay, I didn't get to my yeah. 
Go ahead. I'll, go ahead. The second trade that shocked me, and it shocked me not that the, the player was moved. It shocked me where he went. And, again, not sure if I'd consider it overpayment, but we talked a lot about uh, Jacob Chikrin moving on from Arizona. Yep. And for for the the destination to be none other than the Ottawa Senators, and again, already paying dividends, he's already scored for them. Uh, somebody please explain to me how if, if if somebody had Ottawa on on their list as the team he was going to be moved to, I'm I'm calling shenanigans. There's no way anybody predicted that Ottawa was going to be the team to pick him up. For me, as a hockey fan, I love that move. Like, it's brilliant for Ottawa. I mean, now you've got Shabbat and Chikrin and... <laughs> capital letters everywhere. Underlines, sparklies, bold, italicized, and font taller than I am. Love. Because if Jacob Chikrin goes up there and is a above average number two, the Ottawa Senators project to be the scariest team in the division two years from now. Assuming they can find goaltending. Because they have it up front, <clears throat> less than 28 minutes a night for Shabbat will be great. Um, it's it's just a gorgeous move. Like, love the move. Didn't even have to overpay for him. In the, fact, based on what based on what the market was supposed to be three weeks ago, they got him in a bargain. It, what was it, a first round? I, I, I it was mean, supposed I, to be two firsts and a prospect or young player. Pl- um, plus. Like yeah, well, additional the, things. The two firsts up, didn't happen. It ended it, up being one first and two seconds. Yes, and the sec and one of the seconds is for twenty twenty six. They're not even thinking about that pick yet. But you know what? <laughs> you should be. Well, I agree. I mean, I mean, we don't know anyone in that draft at this point, <laughs> but well, they're, they're still skating in, in mites or something. So, uh, n- yeah, none of them shave yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Most of their voices haven't cracked. <laughs> but yeah, this year's first and it's conditional uh, top five protected. Um, if if the condition is met, uh then it becomes next year's uh, and it becomes an unprotected first round pick next year. So if it falls, if, if for somehow, if somehow Ottawa crashes to the point where they get a top five pick this year, then Arizona gets whatever pick they have in the first round next season. And the second round pick is from next year and was Washington's pick. So it's not even their own. Uh, if Ottawa makes it to the Eastern Conference final, it becomes a first round top 10 protected next year. Yeah. And if it is in the top 10, it becomes Ottawa's 2025 first round pick the year after. <laughs> yeah. 
Pierre, um, Dor- Pierre Dorian, I don't know, he's sitting there thinking up random crap at this point. He's going, so if it's a fifth, if it's top five, then we're going to well, move it. But if it's top ten, and if we make the Eastern Conference Finals, and you're not getting it until two years from now. <laughs> I mean, okay. let's, let's factor in that Pierre Dorian is fighting for his job, not because the Senators aren't improving, they they absolutely are, but because the senators are probably going to be sold soon, and who knows what the new ownership will do. Um, yeah, I mean, even a good job by him might not be good enough. It yeah, might just that, be and that, and that's and that and that's sad, but unfortunately, it's the way it works. The new owner comes in, they want to bring in their own guys, and you can't blame them. I, no. I mean, you're spending. One billion, two billion dollars to buy an NHL franchise and all of its entailed pieces. Yeah, yeah and there's the franchise fee, you know, six hundred fifty million, and you're, you're going to pay. You're you're going to want someone you believe in and probably like and trust, not just someone who's competent. Um, so you had one more. We've talked about some of the deals. Yeah. I thought you had one more. Oh, I had one more. I thought that the Jonathan Quick trade was a shocker. Not not necessarily – I don't necessarily – I didn't necessarily react to it as badly as the people who think that it was wrong and evil and cold-blooded to do it to him (laughs) because one – it's they a business. sent them to Columbus. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, it's a business. Two, if you want, like, if he wanted to retire as a as a uh, king, yeah, he should have done it like four years ago because he's had one good year in that time. It, Jonathan Quick's contributions to the Kings winning the Stanley Cups is never to be understated overlooked, discounted, or ignored. Man stood on his head. But just look at the numbers since then. I mean, it's... Yes, he's had the back issues. Yes, the defense is not as stout as it was. But save percentage, that's that's on the goaltender. And... Yes. No. Just no. I Look, I, I will mm-hmm. buy him a adult or soft beverage of his choice in any bar in the country if I run into him. But no. What I'm trying to figure out is the fact that he was then bounced to Vegas almost immediately. I'm trying to figure out if that was just one of those three-team deals, but they didn't make it a three-team deal. Well, I think that they didn't want to trade within the division. Um. And it's possible that that's the case. Um, but the other the other portion of it is, even if you don't have a quick as your goaltender going into the playoffs, if you're the Knights, having him as a mentor to your goaltender going into the playoffs, well, that's a Logan. big that's a big deal. How big is he going to be for Logan Thompson? If they mesh at all. A huge like that's a that's a full playoff run of like two rounds of knowledge transfer 
just him showing up and them having five or six conversations about preparation and pressure and all the rest. I was going to say, is that like having, is that like having a goalie coach on the roster? (laughs) Well, you know that I've been a forever advocate of having a mentor at ice level for defensemen. I think that part of the jump in Connor Clifton and the steadiness, even of Derek Forbert over year over year, because last year he was good. This year he's been borderline great. Um, the different, the change since McQuaid joined the staff. I think that I think that, I, I, think that I, I agree. I think McQuaid being McQuaid being on the staff as a as as whatever he is, an assistant coach or coaching the defense, whatever it is, his role is. I think he's part of the development team, but I think that well, having that having that ice level mentor, yeah, cannot be discounted. Um, I think for forwards it's different because with twelve to fourteen forwards carried on any roster, there's always going to be one old guy or older guy. And the odds that they're not going to be a mentor if they've been in the league that long and are and the team is still heading upwards or whatever, really low, really low. But six defensemen, I mean, you saw how young the Bruins defense was after Krug and Chara went. There was no one over the age of 25 on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, Matt Grizzlick was the oldest dude on the on the defense. And that just doesn't work as much yeah. as I love the guys like it doesn't work. Um, so here's my question. Ask away. Who managed the deadline the worst? And by the deadline, I mean January 1st to March 1st, 3.01 p.m. All the teams in the West. Who did their team the most disservice? All the teams in the West. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's but not unfair. And it's the, not even I'm sorry, wrong. but look at, the, look at the East and tell me that they didn't not only solidify themselves, but pretty much as uh, close to, to war with, <laughs> with trade taxes. Like, absolutely. Um, for me, I think possibly the worst is Calgary. I think Calgary. Yes. I think if I had to, although, I mean, they did at, they did at the, at the deadline and this, this one is like my third because – and it was more of a comedic one than anything. But the fact that the Ritchie brothers were traded for each other. Uh, that's – Calgary that's Calgary traded Brett Ritchie to get Nick Ritchie. And, then, and I mean I think the piece of the – I think the whole piece of the trade was that they wanted Troy Stetcher. And that's fine. I love Troy Stetcher uh, since he was back with the Red Wings a, a few teams ago. Unfortunately, he t- he tends to get involved in every friggin' trade at every friggin' deadline, and and it's like, come on, how does this guy get moved around all that? Either he's really not as good as he appears to be, uh, but, which I don't believe. Um, but yeah, but, Connor Mackey and Brett Ritchie from Ar- from to Arizona for Nick Ritchie and Troy Stetcher. I was like, the Ritchies get traded for each other. That's terrible. That's like trading one Kachuk for another. Um, the other the other thing that I saw that I think I found more disappointing than anything. Yeah. 
Um, did you see a number two center going to Colorado? Because I didn't see a number two center. That was, was going to be my answer. You pick Calgary. I was going to say Colorado. I uh, outside of Kincaid, I haven't seen Colorado. I, I'm looking at the list now, and Colorado has picked up Jack Johnson. Uh, it started with getting Kincaid from the Bruins. Oh no, wait, nope. They picked up they they picked, picked up, up Josh uh, Manson, Nieto, and Ryan Merkley, which are both minor AHLs. I mean, they, they, are no. they going to try and run with Nico Sturm as their number two center? I like Nico Sturm. I don't know that he's a number two. I think he's bottom six. I think he's, and I'm not trying to insult Nico Sturm. We've seen him play. I just think he fits as like a third line center more than a second. Yes. If I, if if there's a player that I think that he's close to, and I'm not saying the same, but I, I, I see him in the same light that I see Charlie Coyle. Um, good, good comparison. Know, that's a, I, I hadn't thought of that one. That's a good one. Like if you want a solid number three, you're designing, like if you're going to a super, computer that's able to spit out human beings and you're designing a number three uh a prototypical number three center in the nhl these days it's going to come out looking acting a lot like charlie coyle unless they're unless they're using jt comper as your number as their number two center i mean it's probably not lars eller either (laughs) i don't yeah i don't think so and uh, Lars Eller, you know, Bruins killer. Lars Eller, a little bit of a surprise that he went there. I I don't know if they made that trade to fill in. I. But yeah, I, I don't get Colorado, it. in my eyes, I don't think Colorado did enough. And apparently they're on like a three game skid at the moment. And well, they got smoked the other night, uh, last night, night before, like eight nothing or eight one. Apparently um, Dallas beat them seven to three. Dallas, Dallas picked up one of the guys that I was, I had earmarked for the Bruins. Uh, they grabbed uh, Domi. Yeah, I know. Um, that was kind of a late in the that was kind of a late in the day trade, was it not? That wasn't like. And that was that was one of those three team trades where he, you know, he starts off in. No, they got him on the second. I'm, I'm my apologies. They got him on the second. And no, they got, got him, him for on deadline day, but it was like, or the day it might have been late the night before. Yeah, but it was a three team trade involving Carolina, Columbus, and Florida. Oh wait a minute, I'm, am I looking at the right date? And uh, no, because Max Domi and Dylan Wells went to the Stars for Anton Hudobin. Oh right, I am looking. No, I'm looking at the wrong team. And the last time, the time before that, he was traded. Oh okay. Oops. <laughs> I was looking at the Florida Panthers, who haven't done a, a great deal. They um, didn't seem to. They, they, I, I I get the feeling that they're not sure what they're doing. Uh, and I don't mean that again in a negative way. Maybe they really don't know what they're doing, but they weren't really in sell mode or buy mode. See, I think that that's I think they're a team who did themselves a disservice by not like I don't think that there's any conceivable array of trades that they could have made themselves a top three contender. But I think that they could have stocked the stocked the uh, larder a little bit by 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 trading, trading like move out assets, bring in assets, 
create some cap space for next year, extend a few people. Um, trade trade Anthony Declare to Boston. Oh, wait, did I slip yes. in? Yes, for an eighth-round pick in 2067. Hey, sure. I, <laughs> I don't know. Again, I don't know where we'll put Duclair at this point, but, you know. <laughs> I, neither do I, but, but we're, uh, I, I say we make space for him. <laughs> um, but the other, so if you're, if we've covered any other teams that you think just um, missed at the deadline, that just flat out didn't do themselves any good. Everybody, like I said, it, it, it it's, it's, like a West Coast thing. I mean, the what's I mean, the the explanation for that is probably good sense. Sleep at the wheel. No, I okay. Con, a league standings. Yeah. Right now. Okay. For the first time, the top five. First time in probably months, the top five actually includes a Western conference team. And that's the Dallas stars. The first four, Boston, Carolina, New Jersey, Toronto. You then have the next three are Dallas, Vegas, Los Angeles. Yeah. Rounding out the top eight is Tampa Bay. If you just split this East versus West, not one through eight, but East versus West. Mm hmm. And roughly um, how many of those series do you expect the West to win? Well, Vegas could beat somebody. Dallas. I, I watched Vegas play Carolina the other night. Yeah. Uh, Carolina didn't quite spank them. But oh, okay. it was not as close a game as it looked like on paper. Um, I I think that Dallas is possibly the only serious concern coming out of the West this year. No, I, I I know you tweeted this out, but it just looking at it on my screen, it just drove it home that the goal differential for the Boston Bruins is actually greater than the goal differential for both Carolina and New Jersey combined. Yes. <laughs> Um, and the thing is, is if you go even further, uh-huh. you take now if you go with just the three other division leaders. So Carolina has a goal differential of 51. Yeah. Dallas is 45. So that's uh, 96. 96. Vegas is plus 25. Only gives those three combined a goal differential of like 15 better than the Boston Bruins alone. Like 15 yeah, goal difference, 160 or so games between 180 or so games between those three teams. And they only managed to come up with a goal differential of about 15 better than Six, one team playing 16. Six. But who's counting? Details, details. <laughs> it's a rounding error at that point. Um, Probably. It, it's, but I, I can't blame the Western Conference teams for not going all in at this deadline because they're almost irrelevant to the Stanley Cup final outcome. 
I was trying not to say that because I don't want to jinx anything, whether you believe in those things or not. But, you know, I, yeah. Look, look, no, no. Look, I've said that I don't want if I'm the Boston Bruins, I don't want to face Buffalo and I don't want to face the Senators in the first round if either of them gets in. Do I think that Boston should beat those teams? Yes. Do I think that both of those teams have the ability because of their speed advantage to beat Boston? Absolutely. Uh, same, same with New Jersey. I don't think that the Bruins are invincible. I think that they're just <laughs> they're just a lot better. <laughs> they're just a lot better right now. They're just scary. I mean, so who do you think won the deadline, assuming anyone can? Or at least who do you think best managed the deadline? Are we barring are we barring the home team from this discussion? <laughs> no, you can you can name them. They certainly deserve credit because I think that they I think with the limited I mean, I think with the limited number of moves that they made, they certainly have to be in the conversation. Um absolutely. Can, can you honestly say that the Rangers won because they got Kane and uh, from what it seems like, they, they, the they, biggest names. they got they the biggest name hunting and they so, pulled in two of them. Toronto made a Toronto made a lot of moves and actually picked up like people who not only are listed as defensemen, but actually played defense. You know, Toronto's moves are probably too little too late. And by that, I definitely 100 percent mean that I don't know if the. Players who were here before the deadline will buy into a new defensive system that actually requires them to be responsible from one end of the ice to the other. I don't know that even if they buy in, they're going to believe in it enough to execute well in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that they're not going to revert to form as soon as they're stressed in the playoffs. Well, you said something interesting to me when we were talking, uh, whether it was last weekend or during the week, uh, where you know I worried about here in here in Boston, worried about you know how Orlov and Hart and Hathaway, you know, buying into the system. He said, well, you know, it's easy to buy in when you're moving to a first place team. Yep. And, and, and yeah, it makes sense. You know, you're moving to a team that's. You move to a team that's playing the way they are. The only concern I have is how are they going to mess up the chemistry? But it, clearly in watching the Bruins, there has not been any mess up in chemistry. <laughs> and that that goes back to Zdeno Chara uh, deciding or <laughs> laying down the law when he arrived that there were no rookies. There were no new guys. There were no veterans. One locker room. And it's something that has basically continued for 20 years at this point. And it's awesome. And I think the fact that Orlov had Hathaway. Um, and that's why they, is, that's, is highly useful. That's part of the reason why they brought him along. It, it, he was brought along not only because he's a, as Jack Edwards here in Boston puts it, you know, he was born to be a Bruin. You know, it, it, they brought him with Orlov to make Orlov feel comfortable. 
He wasn't the only new face. He wasn't the only guy. He had a teammate coming with him. He had somebody that he knew that he's been playing with all season. That he's, it, it makes the adjustment that much easier. And I will say that I think that that's one of the reasons both of them have slipped into the rhythm of the team so well. It's not and, it's not purely their raw ability or even just the fact that the team is playing so well that it covers a lot of slips. And there have been those slips. Um, it's the fact that, you know, I don't care how brash you are. I don't care how extroverted, how much you love new things. Yeah. Picking up everything, starting effectively a new job with a new way of doing things. It's not particularly easy. Not if you care about what you do and care about being good at what you do. And it's very, very clear that Orlov and Hathaway actually both care about both. And I think the, I think Bertuzzi coming in and sliding right in on that third line with uh, Coyle and Frederick, um, as much as I would prefer to have Hall there, they yeah. actually, I mean, he's a, he, Bertuzzi is definitely more belligerent than than Hall. As you said, there, there's going to be random random fines just mailed to the Boston Boston Bruins offices. Um, <laughs> this is a five thousand dollar fine for Bertuzzi. We we'll, we haven't figured out why yet, but we'll come up with something. <laughs> but the the thing I'm getting at is he's a playmaker like yeah. Hall. He's not as fast as Hall. Um, I mean, Hall's skating remains wildly underrated. Um, but he's a he's a puck distributor. And if Charlie Coyle, like he did in the last game, can remember to shoot the flipping puck uh, a little tiny bit more often, um, he's going to score more. And Trent Frederick, like. I, I want to not talk about him because I'm afraid it's going to start sounding creepy, but like watching him. Watching the change in his game, the growth in his game over the last like year, it, it's it's bleeding amazing. Like he went from being a guy who played pure straight line, not the, and I don't mean this. Just say it. He played like a guy who was basically two steps up from being a uh, grocery stick to looking like a real NHL player. And the fact that I don't think it's a coincidence that it happened under Montgomery and not under Cassidy, not that he wasn't improving, but he he's grown more since the start of this year than he did in the three previous years put together. So I actually have an answer to this question and it's not the Bruins, although the Bruins, I think in terms of, the limited number of moves. I think they, like I said, have to be in the conversation. The winner of this trade deadline has to be the Arizona Coyotes, who have acquired all the draft not, picks. Not 10, not 15. In the first three rounds of the next three drafts, they have a grand total of 22 picks. I saw that, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, they had a lot of those. They had several the, of those before today. The, I was going to say, the, the only problem that, sorry, the only problem that I have with it is that it tells me that they're not moving 
forward, they're not making progress. And I love Carol Vilmelka in net. I think that he's one of those handful of guys that put him behind a better defense and you'll get to see the real Carol Vilmelka. Um, I mean, I think we're, Go ahead. Go ahead. I just no. I was just gonna say. I think that they keep trade. They, they they like the they like the farm system for the NHL. They bring in all this great talent, and then it. I've got it. They're like the Tampa Bay Rays of of the NHL. Tampa Bay Rays up until say a handful of years ago, always handcuffed by their sal their own salary cap, not by yep. the because baseball doesn't have one, but they were inexpensive they didn't want to pay for players so once players got to a, a level where the team couldn't afford them they were shipped out so basically they were a farm system for the rest of baseball that's what Arizona is turning into they bring in the Clayton Kellers the Max Domies the Jacob Chickens the, the you know they're hanging on to Lawson Krause which wow if, if if they move him I mean granted they've got him signed through 2627 now but it, they seem to be at that stage. They need to progress past that. They need to I make the first saying. round of a playoff. Well, they need to get to the playoffs. Um, I see what you're saying. If I'm going to read this in the most positive possible light. Well, the most positive possible light that doesn't involve uh, controlled substances. Um, I think or I would like to believe that what they're doing is creating a situation so that when they get to their own arena, and we haven't looked into their arena status in a little while. That's we'll true. We have, that next week. We'll have to they do an update on. Stop. They can, they can make a big splash by bringing in multiple trades and a free agent or two mm-hmm. so that they at least sell out a couple of dozen, a, a dozen or two games minimum in the new arena. They'll have some prospects who are developing at that point and will be ready to join, you know, Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz and Laus and Krause if they're still there. Um, And, you know, it might be Connor Geeky and Dylan Gunther. Those guys are 18 and 19. Um, So they're still they're still developing. There's Cameron Crotty and Michael Kesselring, who are 23 on the on the back end. Um if they're putting if they're intentionally putting themselves in a place to make that enormous splash late in the year before um, the opening of their new arena and then over the summer, I applaud them because they certainly have the assets to get it done. They don't have they don't have any egregious contracts on their uh, anywhere. They don't really have any bad contracts right now. Um if that's what they're doing, because the only the only major contract that's still going to be on the boards and not really contributing. Uh, I mean, Jacob Voracek, his contract runs out after next year, but it's Shea Weber's deal. We'll have two more years left, the 24-25 season, 25-26 seasons, and that's it. And then they're free of obscene debt. Um, and if they can do that coinciding with the excitement of a new arena, yeah, there's, there's a chance that they can launch into something good. Like 
be a relevant team for the first time and <laughs> since the last time they made the playoffs. Even the last time, well, I mean, if you're not counting the pretend offs a couple of years ago, um, the last time they made the playoffs, Shane Doan was still playing. Ah, yes. That was, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I'm not, I mean. I'm not looking it up, but roughly speaking, a decade ago. Um, If they can do that. They're going to be in a position to sell a whole bunch of jerseys, popcorn, beer, and finance the uh, and pay down the debt on on the arena, and maybe possibly you know pay their bills on time and not get booted out of their new home. Um, if that's Bill Armstrong and their ownership's actual plan or something vaguely like it, I applaud them. They're in a position to do it. Whether it's actually going to happen or not, I don't know. I mean, Bill Armstrong is 52. Um, He'll be 53 in about uh, seven, eight weeks. So he's young enough that he can still be there for a while. Um, And I think that people generally are favorable about the assets they actually have in their system. So if it's possible. If they actually took the long road, go for it. It's just uh, my. It just if I'm an if I'm a Coyotes fan, I'm not patient. Yeah, I hate it, it. it. This is just yeah. This is just frustrating as all heck. I, granted, they've got a lot. They they can seal up the future, but and Bill, I I don't know as much about Bill Armstrong. I think if if John was still running this, I don't know that they would have had twenty two picks in the first three rounds of the next three drafts i i have to have i have to believe that they'd actually be contending for first rounds and possibly getting through first rounds and i just think that when they when he left i think they took a step back and oh they took a step back with current ownership not uh there's just so much going on there and there is more than enough back there I also think Arizona won the social media event of the day because upon making the Patrick Kane deal, (laughs) Arizona sent out on on Instagram, they sent out a thank you to Patrick Kane. Hey, and according to the picture, they actually made him an alternate captain in the whole time that he was there. (laughs) Yeah, the the uh, roughly 38 seconds it took took for the second fax to go through. Arizona um, thanks Coyotes legend Patrick Kane. <laughs> well, John uh, Jonathan Quick got a similar uh, tweet out of uh, Columbus for his extended time there. I mean, I think he was there nearly 24 hours. It's it's nice to I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's nice to see that at least the fran- whether whether NHL as a whole doesn't get it at least the franchises get it. They're having fun with this. Absolutely. Um. <laughs> I, I think that the biggest, while I love what Edmonton did in bringing in Ekholm and oh, giving right. Darnell Nurse some companionship who knows to, who actually knows what to do on the inside of their own blue line. I think Darnell is um, going to be confused because he's going to look to his left or to his right and see another defenseman and go, what the heck are you doing back here? <laughs> 
Um, I, I think that you probably have to look at you probably have to look over at the Nashville Predators. Uh, it's the end of an era there with po- uh, Poyle stepping down and Trotz stepping in. Uh, and we'll dive a little bit into that in a few minutes. But wow, just look at the number of pieces they picked up uh, in the last month. Okay. I mean, the the, the Tanner Janot trade all by itself is almost enough to win the deadline. Nashville, Nashville has themselves five first-round picks over the next three years now. Yeah, I mean the Tanner Janot trade first in Tampa's twenty-first in or Tampa's first in twenty twenty-five. Yeah, and given the way that Tampa is uh, regressing to the mean, um, that's a better pick two years from now than it would be this year. A second-round pick from Tampa Bay next year a third and a fourth round pick from Tampa Bay uh, this year. And then a fifth round pick this year from Tampa Bay, uh, all for, oh, plus Cal foot, um, all for Tanner Janelle. Yeah. Cal foot is a six foot three, 200 and what? 209 pound, 24 year old um, right defenseman or uh, right shot, right defenseman. Um, who Tampa Bay drafted in the first round uh, in 2017. Yes. Um, 119 NHL games so far. Um, assuming he starts to blossom uh, about this time, which he should, um, that's, uh, that's a hefty return. Yeah. His, his, and, and Cal Foote's dad was, you know, pretty good. But honestly, even if Cal Foote is literally just a complete, turns into a complete plug. They almost have to do to hit on two of those, two of those other picks. But, and then they're, they're no slouches. First three rounds over the next three years, they've got 16 of their, they got 16 picks themselves. I, I think that I have more confidence in the scouting slash front office of Nashville than I do in Arizona. So, I think they're certainly more likely to hit on a handful of these picks. I worry about Arizona and who's running the show out there sometimes, but here, yeah, I, I complete, I agree. It, and you, it's not like they're, it's not like they're completely sold out. I, I think if I were, if there was anything I was upset with, with Nashville, it's that they're still hanging on to Duchesne and Ryan Johansson, uh, Anyone Their contracts are big. Duchesne. But if the if the cap is going to go up, they're still under ten percent of the cap number currently for both you know for each player at nine point seven. So they're not really they they're not really stressing the team financially. I think it's more that Matt Duchesne never seemed to hit the levels that were expected of him when he left I, Colorado. I I don't think he, I'm not sure he hit them more than like three years while he was in Colorado, but that's just my very humble opinion. Fair enough. 
I just think that they're they're not they're not in a complete blow me blow up the team mode, but they're that's now the question of how that's going to go down is yeah. is interesting because with the transition from the only GM they've ever had to their longest term first and winningest coach as the next GM. Uh, that's a big thing. So Barry Trotz is heading back. I missed this story. It was very quietly announced the other day. Um, I missed it when it first came out, but um, Trotz will be, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Just okay. before we go, um, because their trades stretch, they actually have made multiple trades stretching back uh, to October. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Carolina's moves? They picked up Gostas Bear. They picked up Jesse Pugliarvi. They, they picked seem up very Pugliarvi, uh, uh, hmm. sorry. And they uh, picked up a fifth rounder. I don't know that Pugliarvi – Jesse Pugliarvi doesn't move the needle. I, I do believe that he needed a new home. Yes, Watching the way that the press and fans treated him was he definitely he had to get out of Edmonton. And I don't it's usually not one of those places where like an original six team, you you know, you can tell whether somebody should be playing in an original six team or whether somebody should be playing in a large market as opposed to a small. Pulyu Yarvi needed to be out of Edmonton, which is a phrase I never really thought I'd hear anybody hear myself say, but he just needed to not be there. Uh, whether it's going to have a huge impact on his game or not, I don't know. I, I'm kind of mad on what Carolina. It, it's like I don't think they've done enough. They basically gave themselves more of themselves. Yeah. Like they. I, I don't know if I'm saying. We talked about the Deadspin article a couple of weeks back about you know they just don't have that star. They don't have the real deep, deep depth. They don't have that go-to guy. And after these trades, guess what? They, they still, still don't have that go-to guy, that depth, that it's, superstar. It's nice that they brought in Gostaspere, but he doesn't, again, doesn't move the needle, at least – I don't think he moves the needle. I mean, Matt or Pacioretty, is he done for the season or is he back? I don't think he's expected back. Um, he's still on long-term as is Jake Gardner, as is Andre Kasha. Um, yeah. And there's I, a dude who couldn't buy health with, with everything. Um, and, but, and I'm, and I'm not punishing them for not going on, you know, do you do you go all out to try and catch Boston in the regular season or do you hang on to what you've got and maybe add Augustus Beer for the player? I, I'm not saying that what they did is wrong. I'm just it, – it, it's meh. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's a very Carolina move. Like it's 100 percent on brand. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I, there's really no other way to put it. It, it just meh. I mean, they have Jacob Slavin, like him. They have Brent Burns. When he no. decides to play well, he's pretty good. They have Brady Shea. Mm, okay. 
They have they now have Goss to spare. Brett Pesci, who I think looked pretty good in the playoffs last year for them. Yes. Calvin DeHaan, reasonable depth guy. And then Dylan Kogelin uh, and J- Jalen Chatfield. Eh. Their goaltending, Frederick Anderson. Eh. Anti Ranta. Eh. They're not even playing their best goaltender. Um, which goaltender is hurt? I don't know if he's hurt or if he's back in the minors, but Kochetkov. Uh, Kochetkov is back in the minors. Um, and he's their they best goaltender. They have the cap space to bring him up if they want to, but I don't know that it's. That's why they gave him a four-year extension because he's the guy. I mean, he's better than. Don't get me wrong. Anderson has been the man for a long time, going back to what his days in Anaheim, but. I mean, he is waivers exempt, but they at this point they also have the roster size cap to deal with, and they're already at 23 players, so they would have to shove someone off the roster um, who's probably not waivers exempt, and I don't see anyone other than Seth Jarvis who is, um, and I don't think that they're going to push uh, Jarvis into uh, the AHL. I mean, he's. He's over no, I, why would you put? Why would you push Seth Jarvis? He's not. No, I wouldn't move Seth Jarvis right now. Um, Seth Jarvis, uh, all his thirty-two points in sixty games in the NHL for this season, uh, um, forty points in sixty-eight games last season. Yeah, I wouldn't move Seth Jarvis anytime soon. I mean, can you can you maybe take the chance on sending both Chatfield and Coglin uh, into? the AHL and hope that neither of them gets picked up on waivers. Sure. I mean, what they're, they're both young. Uh, Coglin was an undraft is an undrafted nine year, uh, 19 year old. Um, or no, I'm sorry. Undrafted 25 year old. And Chatfield is an undrafted 26 year old. And a lot of people probably don't have them on their radar at all, but I mean, this is Chatfield's first season, 12 points, in, including five goals in 60 games. Um, for a defenseman, that's not bad. I mean... No, particularly these played all of 94 NHL games. Um, but they are right defensemen, uh, both both of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and those seem to have been at a premium this year. Uh, the other one's played 104 games and has pretty similar stats, honestly. Um, I just don't think – I think that if I'm a Carolina fan, I'm not necessarily distraught over the fact that they didn't make a lot of moves, but I'm not really excited that the front office didn't do something a little bit splashier. And I'm not saying they had to bring in Kane. I'm not saying that they had to bring in – Jamie Ben or something. I'm just saying that. What you didn't want them to trade for Tarasenko and uh, and Eric Carlson and uh, Timo Meyer. Uh, let's see. If I were a Carolina fan base, I probably would have wanted like uh, a Timo Meyer or something. Uh, I, or like what the Bruins did, shore up that defense. They brought in Shane Gostisbehere. I don't know that he shores up the defense. He quarterbacks a power play. Yes. I mean, if you're going to have Burns on one unit and him on the other, that's that's yeah, a yeah. 
that's a pretty formidable pairing uh, as long as the other team isn't any good at shorthanded goals. Oh, wait. Isn't that that team here in Boston that we talk about? They're pretty good at that, right? Eh, they only have three on the year. and uh, No, but I mean as far as killing penalties. Oh, killing penalties. That's Yeah, that's a different beast. Aren't, aren't, aren't they like number like one or something? Something like that, yes. Okay, just checking. Yeah, so I, I mean what they did is – yeah, a whole bunch of men. And if I'm a Carolina fan, I'm going, why didn't you do more? But if you think about it, they probably may, I'm trying to get inside their head. They're figuring that, OK, we're not going to catch Boston in the regular season. So let's shore up and get ourselves ready for a playoff run. Absolutely. Uh, I think we've beaten the draft to death at this uh, or the uh, the trade deadline to death at this point. Are you surprised that Carlson wasn't moved? No. Final question? Seriously? No. Really? Not at all. I didn't expect Contract it. is too big. His health history is too questionable. No. Not surprised. If he moves this summer, moves at the draft, more likely. Um, I don't think – I generally don't think he'll. we'll see him moved um, this summer until after we find out what the cap is going to be which I don't think happens until around the start of the first round, second round. Um, really quick on the Bruins. Yeah. Um, and part of this is deadline, so apologies, folks. Um, fastest team in the NHL's history to 100 points. Yeah. Staggering to me. In all the years, all the great teams, Gretzky, Lemieux, the the cadres they had around them, those Islanders teams that won four straight cups, mm-hmm. um, some of the some of the other uh, some of those Detroit teams or the Colorado Avalanche uh, when they had uh, when they had Bork and Foot and the rest of the show. My favorite time in NHL history. <laughs> None of them got there this fast. Nope. None. None. Um. Just shocking. Like, as a fan to watch it, it's been really great. As a commentator, like, people are running out of adjectives to describe what they're doing. Like, historic doesn't even count anymore. Like, it's just the only regular season goal they have left at this point is stay healthy. President's Trophy, which nobody gives a flying puck about. Um, I think the I think the records that they have left are they need to go 14 and six to hit the all time record. I believe total number of points. Yeah. One hundred and thirty two, I think, is the one hundred and thirty one. Something like that is the record. Yes. And you know what? I don't care about that record. To be honest, I yes, I would much rather have and and this is clearly from a fan standpoint, not from a a podcaster standpoint. This is, you know, I would much rather have them come up a little short and go into the playoffs as healthy as possible. Healthy and rested like I would love to see because they've got a lot of back to backs. I would love to see Bergeron get to 30 goals. And then have yes. him sit a game or two. Have Marchand sit a game or two. Have Krejci sit a game or two. Mm-hmm. 
pull both Lindholm and McAvoy out for a full game, send them home, tell them they're not allowed to come out of the, they're not allowed to come out of their damn homes, you know, sit on the couch, watch TV, spend time with your significant other. Don't come to the arena. Um, Do you think Omar gets a rest? Omar will probably get a rest and he's probably going to hate it. Um, He's going to absolutely hate it because there is that. I mean, assuming he hasn't gotten to the four, that 40 win, which is, um, which is the, no, wait a minute. How many? You're talking about the records for Swedish goaltenders. Yeah. It's, is it 40 or 41? Uh, Pelle Lindbergh currently holds the record. I believe it's, I believe it's 41. That's nine more wins. I mean, realistically, where is he at now? 32 or 33. So that, that could be 11 more games. Like if we're, if we're being, if we're just looking at the things based on the record to date, that, that could be 11 more games. If you can give him a full, don't come to the arena. We're calling up, uh, we're calling up Brandon Busey or Kyle Kaiser for the, for the day. That was going to be my next question. You think we get to see Busey in an NHL game this year? Um, go home, have fun. You've already won the uh, you've already won the Vesna. If anyone can actually spell their own name, much less read stats, <laughs> you're winning the Jets. Has he locked it up? <laughs> I don't see how he loses it. Like, because well, because if, no, if you listen to Nesson, they, they, they the guys on Ness and granted they're in New England sports, so it's not like national. But I actually heard it on the cha- on Channel Five on uh, yesterday uh, that he's all but got it locked up because he scored a goal and his numbers are ridiculous. And this, and the, I'm like, I never, as much as I want to believe it, I don't want to. I don't think he's got it locked up. I just don't trust that. Voters aren't going to find some other reason to vote for another guy because somebody else has five shutouts and he only has two. I mean, to me, it's consistency and not what I like shutouts. But if you have a shutout and then you give up a seven goals in a game, your goals against is still three and a half. <laughs> I mean, the next. Andre Vasilevsky is next in wins at 28, but he's played 46 games. Or he started 46 games to Olmark's 38. Um, after that, Connor Hellebuck, 48 starts with 27 wins. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, save percentage. Like, save percentage will go with. Uh, let me add the filters. I don't think anybody's near him in save percentage either. Not really. I mean, if we call it a minimum of 15 wins, which is um, 15 wins this year for goalies, and then sort by save percentage. Mm-hmm. Philip Gustafson is second, and he has 17 wins. Um, Ilya Sorokin is third, uh, second with a 933 Sorokin's third with a 9.26 and 21 wins in 45 games, so below half. Um, Ottinger it would be fourth, 9.22 with 26 wins in 46 games, so 
And then Georgiev, uh, 26 wins, 9-19. No. Uh, same number of games uh, of wins. Goals against average, Gustafsson is next with uh, 199 to Olmark's uh, 899, or 189, rather. Um, but again, uh, Olmark has played that 10-11 extra games. Antti Ranta is next after that, and he's all the way at 226. Um, Jeremy Swayman, 227. Um, I don't think that people are going to vote for Swayman over Olmark for uh, for the Vesna unless they really, really dislike Linus Olmark for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. I, it just... I'm not saying it can't happen. Um, I just I just don't trust the voting sometimes. I mean, because there's two guys with five shutouts, Sorokin and Kemper. Kemper's no, got a nine, ten save percentage. Yeah. And Sorokin, as I said, is a nine twenty six. At four, there's Jake Ottinger. Um, Ilya Samsonov does have two assists. And Ottinger and Georgiev both have one. Beyond that, eh. Yeah, but Omar I mean, has a goal, so. <laughs> um, and Vitek Vanacek has two assists. Ooh. Oh, and Jordan Bennington has ten pimps. Yeah, I think Isn't, he got thrown out of a game or something, didn't he? I, I don't like him, but hey, I, I, Phoenix Copley has 17 penalty minutes. So, um, <laughs> so ran a quick poll. OK. Uh, on the on the Bruins, the deadline and what everyone thought of the gap between the Bruins and the rest of the team as as impact or as the deadline impacted it. Um, poll question. NHL Bruins entered deadline mania, the number one contender. What do you think of their trades impact on their gap over the rest of the NHL? Uh, Options were at the bottom. They weren't and aren't top team or aren't the top. Um, Same size gap, smaller gap than before, bigger gap than before. Um, Not surprised by where the voting came out, but Mm -hmm. uh, for those who haven't seen it, Bigger gap, 47.9%. 20.8% said smaller gap than before. I suspect a decent number of those are New York Rangers fans or possibly <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs fans. Carolina. Um, Carolina. Same size gap was a quarter of the poll, and I find that interesting. Um, I, I wonder if those people are taking the injuries into account. And then they aren't, they weren't and aren't top, 6.3%. I would they were, love to see they, the justifications for that. They weren't. They weren't number women. They're number. We mean they weren't. Okay. There were people who voted for they weren't a dart. Okay. Sure. Um, I'm not saying these are the best <laughs> and brightest minds among hockey fans. I'm just saying what they voted. Fair enough. I'm I just trying to figure out where 6.3% of the people are, that voted are thinking because uh, they are currently 
Lapping the field. (laughs) They are currently, and so choosing they weren't and aren't is um, interesting. It requires a creative interpretation of reality. I guess so. (laughs) So, uh, as we talked about a few seconds, a few minutes ago. Yeah. And the endless cycle of. Uh, the coaching carousel in the NHL. Me. Barry Trotz has stepped off of the carousel. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm upset by that or not, because I think that as a coach, I think he still has a lot to offer, but okay. See, I, I think that realistically, I think he's gotten what he wanted. I think this is part of the reason that he left. Um, what, winning a Stanley Cup? I think, well, I think there's a couple of reasons that he left Nashville in the first place because he's always talked about having his family still there and loving it and everything like that. I don't think it was his choice to leave. I think that Poyle was seen as having to do something. Oh, and that's true. But he might have been able to worm his way into a front office job at that time. But going elsewhere, getting NHL experience, in a, in a bigger market, Washington, mm-hmm. and whether you consider the Islanders a big market or not, um, or a top team or not, they're still much closer to the top of the NHL in terms of media saturation than Nashville is, period. Um, and I think the experience working with Lou Lamorello and with uh, the general manager over in Washington was good for him. Uh, I, I suspect that even if they never talked about Barry Trotz becoming a manager before he departed Nashville, that he had something in the back of his mind about a transfer uh, from one field to the other. Um, and probably spent a, a decent amount of time looking into the mechanics of running a team, not just coaching a team. Um, and I think that it's I think that the setup job that that uh, Poyle has done on his way out the door, just throwing draft picks and prospects at Trotz's feet like rose petals uh, yes. is, is a really good thing. I, 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 I have to say my favorite, my favorite part about this whole article, uh, this whole story, uh, we have who to thank for this, Michael Gallagher at the Nashville Post. And I love this quote from Barry Trotz. We can use whatever term. We are resetting. We are collecting assets. You don't have to rebuild, but it might be a process and you need patience. Do you want something microwaved or do you want something cooked and cooked the right way? (laughs) Which I love that phrase, too. And I was going to actually quote it myself. But (laughs) sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. It's perfect because it's very much the Barry Trotz that we saw as coach. Yes. Um. You're not going to see him. 
you're not going to see him trying to take advantage of every opportunity. He's going to carefully consider it and see if it fits his plan. Like, if he had been the GM this season, I don't think he would have gone all in to get uh, Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko so that they could go into the playoffs and splash out in the first round or right. the second round. Um, if it doesn't, I, 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 I think that the other thing Nashville fans need to consider, and if you look into that article um, and the following article uh, in our uh, in our show notes from Chris Harris and uh, Nikki Laterulo of WSMV4. He's saying flat out that his idea of when a player is ready for the NHL might not be the same as the fans' perspective. Um, if you don't get around to reading the articles, um, don't expect any, don't expect many 18 and 19 year olds or even 20 year olds to hit the roster while he's GM. Nope. Um, in a lot of ways, I agree with this because I think that if you look back at the history of the Edmonton Oilers going back eight, 12 years, you had Ryan Nugent Hopkins and a bunch of other guys coming in fresh out of the OHL. You know, their pimples are barely starting to clear up. I think it's what messed up Ryan Nugent Hopkins when he was, when he was a rookie. Not just his rookie season. He yeah. had shoulder issues for like three years because he was being battered by guys who legit outweighed him 40 or 50 pounds. Yep. I mean, he's a great passer. Like Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a great passer. But he's how – go ahead. No, I was just going to ask a question. How much – he is a great passer, but how much did playing him as a 18-year-old uh, at whatever – light poundage he was how much did that mess him up those first, i mean how much did that regress him or or I hold pro- him I think back it probably took i think it probably took a good two years off the back end of his career because he if he had played another year or even two years in the ohl he's not coming in with those injuries he's coming in with healthy shoulders and with because injuries are cumulative like our body heals them, but it doesn't repair them to the point where it's as good as new or better. It's just not the way that nature works. Agreed. So I think that Nugent Hopkins, and it's not just Edmonton I'm criticizing here. Um, Nugent Hopkins, two or three other players who came in about the same time, they would be bigger stars had they been kept in in the OHL or the WHL or even sent to college for a year or two um, versus jumping straight into the NHL. Can they, could they, did they have the raw skill to play in the NHL? Yeah. Can you make the argument that it was better for their understanding of the game? Depending on how much you think that, you know, pain being on painkillers and sitting on the ninth level uh, <laughs> improves or the press level actually improves their understanding of the game, maybe. But you're still losing 
you're still losing game speed play for observation when you run into those injuries. Um, I, I don't, I think it's a very rare 18, 19 year old, much, much rarer than we've seen in the NHL in the past 10 or 12 years or 15 years. Um, that can actually come into the NHL and healthily play a 75, 80 games. You're, I didn't finish growing until I was 22 years old. Like I, I think I grew four, three and a half inches after my 18th birthday. Um, and I was average height at my 18th birthday. Okay. Um, my shoulders a lot wider, chest filled out. I looked like a different person at 21, 22 than I did at 18. And a lot of these guys, they, they keep developing. It's natural. Like way back as seventies, eighties, you didn't get drafted until you were 19 or 20. Some of these guys are being drafted at 17. Most of the organizations are keeping those guys in in uh in juniors for a well, while longer you kind of have to when you draft a kid that's five six hundred and forty five pounds i mean sure if they're <laughs> fast enough and agile enough and aware enough to stay away from contact or serious or heavy contact fine but nugent hopkins is eat a sandwich nugent hopkins is above league average for speed and agility but he's not he's not Connor McDavid, he's not David Pasternak, he's not got that level of speed. So yeah, he got whacked a lot when he came into the league through no fault of his own. Uh, and not this is not a Nugent Hopkins problem, but it's his injury history pretty well documented. And no, you could not you can't go back and look at any of that footage and not see how small he was. The other thing is he's he's you know number one overall pick. He's a first round pick. It, a lot of the guys are going to be like, "Welcome to the NHL, rookie." Bam. You know, yeah. they, you don't want to say there's a target, but there's a target. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, some of the guys that are targeting him were playing against him two years before or a year before. Yes. Um, it looks like it looks like Barry actually has a plan though, and he doesn't plan on putting kids into that. It doesn't sound like he has a plan for putting those kids into that situation. It sounds like he, the way he's going to do it, he's going to be keeping them in Milwaukee and uh, bringing them up as events warrant. Uh, He doesn't believe that. I think the age bracket that he's talking about might be a little too long. I mean, yeah. if you're waiting until 24 to bring kids in. Well, it says I don't expect them to lead the team until they're 24. It doesn't okay. say he expects them to play. The quote is, there's a six-year window where you can, where you draft a player. Me, personally, I don't expect them to lead the team until they're 24. That's sort of the rule of thumb that I've seen as a coach. But there's going to have to be some patience. So he's basically telling the fan base, look, we got 16 picks in the first three rounds. Yeah, we got 
six guys it, it, we we've got six guys or so in the farm system we got a top 10 farm system i'm not taking them all and throwing them onto the nashville roster right away you know there's going to be a little patience we have the pieces in place but you know we've got the ingredients but we got to prep the meal yeah and and I can respect that because they're not a, they're not a terrible team they're not and they've got one of the best goaltenders in the NHL I still love you say Saros he gets abused I think he's next up for the government mule tag but <laughs> I feel bad for him I mean there's a guy who on he's he's fabulous on his edges he know he's got his and for his size he's he's another Yaroslav Halak he's like five eight he's a tiny guy and. So he's got to move more than somebody like Linus will six five, you know, but he he still gets the job done. <laughs> uh, getting uh, getting to wrap things up, David uh, David Quinn, San Jose Sharks, uh, current victim uh, of holding the co- head coaching tag, uh, ejected from the game the other night for. Um, Losing it on Gord Dwyer, the uh, the the lone referee at the time, because the other referee had been injured earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what he said, but to get thrown out with like five, eight minutes left in the game. You probably need to cool it. You probably need to not insult his mom. I don't know what he said. No, neither do I. I'm just guessing. There are certain things that are guaranteed to get you tossed. I'm willing to bet that insulting his mom is one of them. (laughs) Um, I don't – I understand from looking at the call because they're calling it clipping. As far as – That's a football call. Wait a minute. As far as I can tell, the player was literally literally just – the Sharks player was literally standing still. LeBanc. Kevin LeBanc, and, your favorite. Um, I I feel about him the way that I feel about Carolina's movements at the at the dra- at the deadline this year. I know. Um. It, it, so yeah, getting taught. I mean, I'm sure there's a fine coming. Has there been any word about there? He, he, there hasn't been any official word as of the time of. Uh, Shang Peng's uh, story about 14 hours ago. Um, it's now two o'clock on the fifth. But Quinn says that he was embarrassed by it. He knows that there was they were down to one official. Um, I haven't seen anything. I mean, technically he could face supplemental discipline, but eh. You know what? I, in terms of, I mean, there was no, in my, in my view, and granted he's a coach, so there's a lot less likely to be any, but there was no physical altercation. He didn't, he didn't lean over the players and grab Dwyer by the scruff and say, you know, you know, get right in his face or anything like that. Maybe there's some money involved. I don't see there's going to be I don't I don't foresee any kind of suspension. I mean, according to the tweet that's embedded in the article, Colin Campbell will review the incident. Uh, 
and decided there will be supplemental discipline. But that was yesterday at 9.17 p.m. So I'm not going to hear anything till Monday, Tuesday at the earliest. I don't see anything from player safety, although it may or may not come from that. I don't think it's going to be a player safety because there's no injuries or, or hits or it's just going to be league officers and Colin Campbell, who's in charge of whatever he's in charge of these days. And um, mostly I, don't, I, I, I think there might be money involved and that's about it. Uh, if anything, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see much happening. Maybe I'm looking at public relations, uh, NHL public relations, and I don't see anything there either. So I suspect he's going to get told to pull his uh, head from his nether regions and get on with doing his job. A good possibility, yes. Uh, I mean, the the surprising – the thing is that this is only the second – if I'm reading the article correctly, this is only the second ejection of a head coach in since 2018 or something like that. Yeah, they I mean, Quinn is one of the younger coaches and he's also one of the fire coaches. Um, I mean, let's be honest, if John Tortorella wasn't going to get ejected a couple of those years, no one was. <laughs> Amazingly enough, yes. <laughs> I don't recall hearing about John Tortorella being ejected from a game, actually, and that's. I suppose it. I suppose I should be shocked by that. David Quinn might be the first NHL coach to get ejected since John Cooper 366 days ago. Must be something about this week. <laughs> yeah, it might if be. So he's the receiver. If so, he's the second NHL coach to get ejected since Peter DeBoer in November 2018. So it's it's not like coaches get ejected all the time here. They they really have to go all out. Yeah. Um. You uh you mentioned you brought up a story where Brian McClellan got to have a nice little conversation with Alex Ovechkin uh, recently. <laughs> I did, I found this last week during the when the Bruins made the deal for um, Mr. Orlov because Orlov and Ovechkin are said to be really good friends, and the Washington Capitals made the move, and Brian McClellan, the GM, had to explain upon his return to Alex Ovechkin. Because Ovechkin was out on personal reasons. His father passed away. It was necessary to explain to Alex Ovechkin why he traded uh, Dmitry Orlov to the Boston Bruins. Ovechkin isn't happy about the situation, but he has come to understand it. Very aware of where the team currently sits in the standings and recognizes how Injuries and key players have derailed matters on the team. And that and unfortunately, I hate to say it, but his absence was part of that. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have left. Absolutely. He did the right thing. I would have been gone five minutes before him. You know, what's going on with dad? You know. 
I think but, that I, I honestly I think that in most years that he would have gone sooner before his father passed if he knew how sick he was because right we we've always heard about how close they are and going back earlier into Ovi's career his parents were at the games a pretty regular basis for people who live multi thousand miles away um but is there has there ever been any doubt that the power structure in in Washington has been Ted Leonsis, Alex Ovechkin, everyone else since <laughs> since he was signed? Has there ever I been just, a doubt? It, well, it, and that's the thing is that in in 2021, Ted Leonsis promised Ovechkin that the Caps would not rebuild during the seasons of his five-year extension. And they would do their best to stay competitive. The issue is that they're not competitive. Well, they're not competitive. They're not. I don't see them making the playoffs this year. They I didn't. If they had won, the, if they had made it into the playoffs, they might have gotten one additional win this year because I don't see them beating New Jersey in a four game series. I don't see them beating in a seven game series. I don't see them be, beating Boston four times. Um, I don't see them beating the Rangers four times. Um, maybe against the Rangers, they beat them twice, three times. Uh, Islanders, coin toss. Carolina, steamrolled. Like, Carolina, I, I just don't see them. I don't think that they would have gone for very far. Um, and it's not just because of, and that's with or without Orlov. Um, and Orlov has been sensational since he arrived. Uh, I tweeted about this the other night um, after the, I believe it was the Calgary game. Yeah. Where the Bruins arrived on the ice Mm -hmm. and somehow won the game. Um, Calgary was the last game of the road trip, right? They were exhausted and still managed to pull it off where they looked like they'd been, uh, they'd been sent to anesthesia before the game. Um, because Allmark was the only person on the roster who looked like he was moving at full speed. I mean, there were a couple of flashes from Frederick and who was it? Grizzly who had sat the game before or no, Carlo, Carlo. Um, but beyond that, no, 50, like 54 no, saves out of Olmark. He, he basically said, don't worry, boys. I got this one tonight, but it, I said it then I, I firmly believe it. There's no reason for Elmark not – there's no reason to discuss the Vesna Trophy the rest of the season. Put Elmark's name on it right now because even if he absolutely sucks in the next three games that he plays, that just means they're going to put Swayman in more and it's going to keep his numbers still above the rest of the league. Um, True. I don't think it helps if he sits out too much, though, either. I think no. that then it I looks like sits, they're trying to protect him. I mean, if he sits 12 games in a row and isn't actually injured or anything like that, yeah, it's not going to look great. But just looking at the numbers, he's he's hands down the winner. He's been the best goaltender in the league all season long, very consistently. And I think the race for the heart basically comes down to – in my opinion, Robertson, Olmark, and 
Mick Savior. Robertson, huh? I think that Robertson is so sneaky good that people are like, I think that he's going to, I think he's going to have a coming out party this and in the playoffs. Like, but I mean, over a Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes, you can put in there. Um, you can put Tage Thompson in there. Um, but I think that looking at guys who, I think in a lot of cases, you're looking at the support around them. I think that, quite frankly, I think that the other guys have more support around them. As much as I like Leon Dreisaitl, and I think it's grotesque how often he's overlooked. He uh, is very much overlooked. I think even Matthew Kachuk, you can make a really good conversation about. But you look at the Dallas Stars this season. But can you not make an argument for Ottinger then? You can make the argument for Ottinger. I just don't think it's quite as strong. I right. mean, Rupe Hintz, I, is having, Rupe Hintz is having a great season. 55 games, 29 goals, 29 assists, plus 24. So he's having a Rupe Hintz season. Okay. He's 21 points behind Jason Robertson, who's only played eight games more. And it's not like Robertson is playing 31 minutes a night or 26 minutes a night. He's nope. doing all this on 18.56 a night. Excuse me. So he's playing reasonable minutes for a first line forward. Nice. You look at uh, the goal. The They have three guys over 20 goals. Robertson at 37, Hintz at 29, Ben at 25. And that resurgence for Ben is great for him and great for the team. Um, care to guess where Tyler Sagan is for goals? 63 games into the season? Um, 17. He is indeed at 17, which means that... Damn, he, that was a guess. I wasn't looking. <laughs> which means that Patrice Bergeron, who is more than a decade older than him, has more goals than him and isn't and has never been known as a goal scorer. Is anybody else going to get the Selkie this year? Um, You look at the rest of the roster. I mean, Same. even Joe Pavelski... Yeah, his assists are ridiculous. He's got 40 assists through 63 games. Joe Pies. Uh, There's a man who I, I'm uh, again with the, the whole fountain. He, he leaves San Jose. You think, yeah, you know, he might go down. You know, he play like some third line minutes. You know, he might go down to like 10. The guy's still playing top line minutes. The guy still what's he? He's the same age as uh. I, I think he's actually a year older than Bergeron, but it's close enough. And, and Matthew I mean, these these two guys are drinking from a fountain that I need to find. <laughs> I would love to find it myself. Matthew Kachuk, one point three three goals, one point three three points per game. Yeah, eighty one points through sixty one games, twenty eight goals. Carter Verhage, second on the team in scoring. 32 goals in 63 games, but only 55 points. Matthew Kachuk is having, if you take the difference between Matthew Kachuk and Carter Verhage's seasons, yeah. you still have an NHL player with the difference. Like, 
maybe not a great NHL player, but you still have an NHL player with those nearly 30 point difference through 30 games because you're at half a point per game there. Well, not much you can complain about. I'm wondering, and the reason we brought this all up is that I found this NBC Sports Boston story from Nick Goss where they talk about the the um, and I'm trying to remember whether it's FanDuel or DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook hot trophy odds. And yep. of course, McDavid is number one at minus two thousand. You have to bet more money than you would win. And number two, as we as you said, Linus Olmark. Now I've been. I've been on the leanest bandwagon since they signed him. Uh, the thing that's going to hurt his case more than Jason Anything? Robertson, more than Jack well, Hughes, more things. than is the fact that at number three is his teammate, David Pasternak. Well, there's that and the fact that he's a goaltender. Like goaltenders and defensemen rare, very rarely win the heart. Um, you mentioned Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes is, of course, having an obscene season. Yes. One point three two goal. Uh, One point three two points uh, per game. Uh, Seventy five points through fifty seven games. Defenseman Dougie Hamilton is second on the team with fifty nine points in sixty one games. Jesper Bratt, uh, twenty five thirty three and fifty eight in sixty one games. Um, and then Nico Heischer, very quietly having a very good season. 26, 31, 57, um, second on the team in plus minus with a plus 30. Um, only uh, Thomas Tatar uh, is better at a plus 39. But 57 points in 60 games, based on Nico Heischer's first, like, three seasons in the NHL, four seasons in the NHL even, did you think he was going to get to that level and well, still have well, this much time left on the clock? When he was drafted, it was the whole it, that whole one two thing because it was it, you know it it wasn't Nolan? Hall Sagan it wasn't Hall Sagan what it was him and Nolan Patrick that year wasn't right it? that's what I'm saying it wasn't Hall Sagan it wasn't McDavid Eichel but it was these were two guys who were going to be the number one pick but they weren't going to light up the world but if you watch what Nico Heischer has done and I feel bad for Nolan Patrick he's got. I think he's got a migraine thing going on as well, kind of like a Bowen Byram situation. Uh, but Nico Heischer has quietly put together a strong first five years of his campaign. Yeah, I mean, the only guy in that draft who's producing more is doing it on a team where it's never going to matter or not going to matter until there's massive changes. And that's Elias Pettersson. Um, who ended up then, winning the rookie of the year that year. Yeah. And then there's um, also some guy named Kale McCarr and these two other dudes named Robert Thomas and Jason Robertson who were in that draft. <laughs> I mean, 2017 draft is going to be a draft we're talking about a lot in a few years. I, I mean, we should be talking about it now, but. Well, except for the fact that we're, been on for like almost a hundred, almost an hour and forty minutes or something. I don't know. Yeah, we're well past the show's uh, supposed dead, uh, timeline. Just but, to tie, just to tie a bow on this for me. You brought up Matthew Kachuk, and yes. I agree his numbers are uh, worthy of discussion. But you don't see, on this list. 
you've got Kucherov, Ranton, and Robertson, Tage Thompson, like you said, Sidney Crosby and Sebastian Ajo <laughs> as 8, 9, and 10. There's no Matthew Kachuk. Is it because they are out of the playoffs? Is it based on the team he's on, he's not getting consideration? It's also based on being in South Florida. That team, like, unless that team does what Boston is doing this year, like two years in a row, maybe three, you're never going to see that the attention there. Okay. It's unfair. It's it's flat out stupid. I mean, Matt Matt Kachuk is one of the best and most marketable personalities in the league, and a really good hockey player. <laughs> yes. Um, Not disagreeing with you on that on that front. I think that he is. <sighs> I'm not quite sure where to put him top 10, top 15, top 20. But he is definitely, as far as marketable, definitely top 10. I mean, I would use him in marketing campaigns as much as possible. And the fact that he's still only 25 years old. He he just turned 25. Yeah. Like. The league should be riding this pony until the saddle is embedded in the thing's flesh. <laughs> I mean, there's just no excuse for Matthew Kachuk not to be a better known player. I mean, I take him and his brother and I find every possible way to stick them in any advertisement for the NHL. His, his brother is one point off of his career high from last year. And he's still got 20 games to go. Yeah. I mean, is Kachuk going to hit the 104 points he had last season? Probably not. Uh, I mean, he's, there's about 21 games left. I don't think he's going to pick up 23 points in that time. Eh, get on a little bit of a streak. Wait, and he might. 10. Yeah, 20, no, 25 points in that time. It's possible. Um, if he does, they're probably going to squeak into the playoffs despite everyone's projections at this moment. Um, and since we're already way over, just. Uh, <laughs> well, are you looking at numbers? I mean. Um, we'll go back to playoff status, uh, playoff stat or playoffstatus.com. We didn't go. We haven't gone there yet. Um, so chances of actually, I don't remember how their stats work. So never mind. <laughs> money puck. I like money puck. Sure, money puck. I like it money is. puck. Um, right now, Florida's chances of making the playoffs are. roughly where they were the last time we talked. Mm -hmm. Buffalo and Ottawa are still over 20%. In fact, Ottawa's at 27.5. That's that's pretty good. The Islanders are only at 41.1, and they currently sit in a playoff spot. (laughs) Um, That's not saying a lot. I'm sorry. And... um, 
Colorado, you know, 87-6, the things are, things are settling down. Unless the Rangers, absol- I'm sorry, the Pittsburgh Penguins absolutely fall apart. Um, and, and I mean fall apart. They're at 88.2% chance. There's 20 games left in the season. They better start settling down. I mean, this has been the longest in a season where I'd say that it, it, who's going to make the playoffs and who's where in the standings. We were still questioning it like mid-January. Yes. Um, Although I still find it amusing that certain teams have so much better chance of winning the Cup than the Boston Bruins. Like, according to MoneyPuck.com, and this is not me, it's MoneyPuck.com. Okay. Of the teams currently in contention... Now, Ottawa, who is not even in a playoff spot, is still listed as having a 4.3% chance of making the playoffs. That's your bar for comparison. The Boston Bruins are listed at 9.3% chance of making of winning the Cup. 9.3. They're the not-even-run-away best cha- team in that league. They are the saunter-away while peeling grapes to eat them slowly best team in the league. And they're only at 9.3%. Carolina Hurricanes, 17.6%. Oilers, 13.3%. Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg Jets are at 8.4%. Okay, that's below. So, so far, there's two teams you've listed that have better percent chance of winning the Stanley Cup than the Bruins. Um, and the Toronto Maple Leafs are listed at 9.8% chance oh, of winning the Stanley Cup. They're ahead of the Bruins as well. Despite the fact that they can't w- get out of the first round. <laughs> I want to know what what is going on with Money, puck, uh, money Puck's um, odds. But you just, you just said two minutes ago you like Money Puck. <laughs> I think that they have a very pretty product, but... Um, I want to know, like, literally, please tell me how the Toronto Maple Leafs have no. a better chance of winning the Stanley Cup. Well, they and, did. They did bring in Jake McCabe. I'm sorry. Oh, OK. Clearly explained, fully explained. Didn't they didn't did they not also bring in another defenseman? Mm, I'm trying to think of what his name is. And if it's the one I think it is. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, they brought in they brought in Luke they brought in Luke Shen from Vancouver and they brought in Eric Gustafson from Washington and wasn't See, he I, the one they brought in from Washington? I think I tweeted this, but yes. I think that they did too much or too much at once. It to I think they probably disrupted the locker room, whether that's a good or a bad thing. I don't long term. Like over the course of two or three years, not sure. It disrupted the locker room. Okay. I, I you brought in you brought in six players from four different teams. No, I I I'm not disagreeing with you. I they brought in yes they got Luke Shen and Eric Gustafson from Washington and. They brought in Jake McCabe from Chicago. 
So they brought in all these defense. They brought in Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari on offense. Nick Bugstad, no, was Bugstad didn't go there. He went elsewhere. Never mind. He went elsewhere. They brought in. They got. They they got Radim Zohorna, but I don't think he's going to be making any kind of uh, impact because he's a AHL junior player. You know, zero dollars for zero dollars. They yeah, traded yeah. out Dryden Hunt. So it, you brought in at least four names that are going to be appearing on your NHL club. And, and you're talking about not disrupt. I mean, four or five names. Yeah. There's clearly a possibility for disruption there. I understand it. I mean, I'm all for just- making, I'm all for making moves, but yeah, you can overdo it. And I, I agree. I think they overdid it. I'm glad that they recognized that, defense might get them somewhere since they've tried the other way for so long and it hasn't done a damn thing. They still lose in the first round. So, uh, who's, who's running things up there. Dubas has recognized that defense might be the way to go, but still his first move was to bring in offense. Yes. His first move was to bring in O'Reilly and Achari. I mean, O'Reilly has been the next best thing to Bergeron for most of his career. Yes. I'm not saying that he brought in McDavid. He's clearly lost a step or two. And and Achari never had that step or two in speed. So, yeah. That's sad. But it was the first – it was the first – the first instinct was to go – was to go offense. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sweeney's first move was to go defense. That's my argument right there. I think that to sum up the trade deadline, um, Nashville dove into the future with both hands. Yes. And set trots up for success. The Rangers went whale hunting. And landed their two whales. And they're still going to lose in the first round. Edmonton might have sneakily done the smartest thing of any team in the West, picking up back home. Um, but I think Toronto, I won't say they botched the deadline. I think that they... Um, I think they muddied it a lot, though. They, they muddied... You almost, if you're making that big of a change to the roster, you almost have to change coaches too. Because is that coach going to have the coaching style and be able to get the message across between the trades and the start of the playoffs to get the new, a, a new effective, responsible 200-foot game across to the roster? I think that's a big hill for almost anyone. Um, I don't know enough about Sheldon Keefe, but if, if past history is anything to go on, then, then you know. the answer is no. Yeah. Okay. So thank you very much. Uh, hockey fans share the show. Love the show. Subscribe to the show. Drop us a tweet. Let us know what you think, what you want to hear us talk about. Um, even throw us some off-season uh, topics of discussion. Love to hear them. Love to see them. 
Um, like the occasional fist fight on Twitter because it's entertaining. <laughs> Y'all have a great week. Enjoy the hockey. The playoffs are coming. The playoffs are coming. The playoffs are coming. The playoffs are coming. And I couldn't be more excited. <laughs>